Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. With 2023 well underway, our conversation this morning will outline some important considerations for those in or nearing retirement. This includes developments surrounding the SECURE Act, Social Security, as well as Medicare. Joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back Ainsley Carbone, Total Wealth Strategist Americas, as well as Justin Waring in Investment Strategist Americas, both from the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Ainsley, Justin, great to be back with you both. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Dan. So I know our conversation today, it will tie into the most recent Modern Retirement Monthly publication, 2023 Retirement Guide is the title, which by the way, for our listeners and our clients is available up now on UBS.com slash CIO for your reference. But within, there's a lot of updates, a lot here we're going to talk about today, maybe Ainsley beginning with you. I know for some context, we've previously spoken about the Secure 2.0 Act here on the podcast. And within the latest edition of the MRM, you do spend some time outlining the key changes on the horizon. So from your vantage point, Ainsley, what do our listeners, our clients need to know? What's coming up? I think I need to start off by saying there are a whole lot of provisions from Secure 2.0. Some of them are going to be relevant to business owners who are trying to help their employees save for retirement. And other provisions are more relevant to investors. So in the latest Modern Retirement Monthly, where we where we talk about Secure 2.0, we focus on the key provisions that pertain to investors who have assets in employer-sponsored retirement savings plans and IRAs. And most of these investors will find provisions that apply to them in one way or another. For instance, there are changes that impact those saving for retirement changes that impact those who are transitioning into retirement, and changes that impact those who are already in retirement. And I think one important thing to keep in mind is that not all of these provisions are going to be effective immediately. Some are effective beginning in 2023, and some of them aren't going to be effective until 2033. Additionally, even though some changes are, some employers are going to be allowed to make certain changes in certain years, that doesn't mean that your employer is going to actually decide to implement those changes within their plans. And even if they do decide, it might take some time for them to actually implement those changes. So in addition to reviewing the provisions in this report or anywhere else, it's really just important to ultimately make sure that you're working with your plan provider, with your employer-sponsored plan to confirm the details of the changes and when they're going to be implemented because really every plan varies. So I encourage everyone to confirm the details of the changes with your own specific plan. Ainsley, thank you for that overview. And to your point, yes, there's a lot here to dig into. And of course, I will point our clients, our listeners to the publication, the Modern Retirement Monthly, to read further into these developments. So Justin, to bring you into the conversation with respect to near-term preparations, speaking in terms of 2023 changes taking effect, what kind of conversations should our clients be having? Having and with whom? I think the, the biggest change, the biggest and most immediate change is the changes to the required minimum distribution age. Um, and so for some retirees, they'll be able to start taking 
um, mandatory distributions at age 75 instead of at age 72. Some some people will be able to take it at 73 instead of 72. And you know, a couple of years ago, uh, people were being forced to take required minimum distributions, also known as RMDs, at age uh, 70 and a half. Um, and so when when that age gets pushed back, it delays when you need to start paying taxes and start you know taking money out of your retirement accounts. But that doesn't necessarily mean that um, the lower minimums is a good thing for investors. And so for many families, the goal of having a retirement account is to contribute on a tax-deferred basis when you have high income, so you're deferring the, the ordinary income taxes into the future, with the hope specifically that you'll be able to make distributions from your, from your IRA or your 401k at a lower tax rate in the future. And because of the way that the tax brackets work, uh, when you're in early retirement and you don't and you don't have a salary anymore and you haven't started RMDs, that's usually a really good opportunity to be taking taxable income at a lower tax rate. Um, and so these delayed required minimum distribution ages give a bigger window at, in early retirement, specifically for uh, for people who have high income tax rates during their working years, to basically shift some of their salary uh, from high tax rates to low tax rates. And so this is an opportunity to reconsider and, and, and discuss with their financial advisor and their tax advisor, what's the right strategy for contributing to their retirement accounts during their working years, and what's the right strategy for distributing those assets in their, reti- in their retirement years. Um, and so I think you know one, one major so- choice is to do Roth conversions in early retirement, because this is an opportunity to, again, um, get assets out of your tax-deferred accounts at a lower tax rate. And the benefit of a, of a Roth conversion is that from the point of a Roth contribution or Roth conversion, um, you get tax-free growth from that point on. Um, and speaking of Roth um, versus traditional IRAs and 401ks, um, starting in 2024, there, there are going to be some provisions that start to um, force uh, workers to uh, contribute to Roth accounts. Um, and Roth accounts, when you make a contribution, you're contributing um, and you're paying taxes on that contribution. This year, you get tax-free growth from that point. And so one of the changes that Congress has made is that catch-up contributions to qualified retirement plans will be subject to Roth tax treatment. And if you're in your catch-up years are generally speaking, you know, 50 years and higher, um, sometimes 55 and higher, depending on depending on the plan. Um, and if you're at that age, you're likely in your peak working year, your peak earnings years, you're in your highest tax bracket. And so um, if you are considering, you know, trying to accelerate your retirement plan contributions right now in 2023, um, it might be a good idea to try to max out everything that you can on a pre-tax basis because that may be preferable over uh, contributions going forward, which might be forced to be made on a Roth basis, which, again, might subject you to higher tax treatment than you'd prefer. There's a lot there to keep in mind, and I'm curious with respect to the timeline for when these provisions roll out, Ainsley, what's coming down the pike over the next few years to be mindful of? I know within the MRM, that's laid out very nicely, so can you walk us through some of the upcoming milestones? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Justin had gone over some of the changes for 2023. One of them, I think, was for 2024. Another change that I wanted to point out for 2024 is that beginning next year, if you have assets that have been in a 529 college savings plan for 15 years, that beneficiary will be allowed to roll some of those assets over to a Roth IRA. Now, there are certain limits to keep in mind on the amount that you can contribute or, excuse me, roll over to that Roth IRA from the 529 over the lifetime, as well as on an annual basis. But the reason I wanted to point this out is because when people are saving towards a 529 college savings plan, a lot of times they're concerned about saving too much in that plan. And the reason for that is because if you were to ever take assets out of a 529 college savings plan for reasons other than qualified education expenses, then you may be taxed and penalized on the earnings of those assets. The reason someone would do that is essentially, let's say I have saved 300000 in a 529 and I send my college off, my kid off to college, and I find out it actually only costs $200,000. Now I have $100,000 left over there. That could be subject to taxes and penalties if I can't find another reason to to use those dollars. So for those families who have leftover assets in 529 plans, there are just a few options that they have available to them. And then this new option that's going to be effective in 2024 is just one other way, one other strategy that families can use to hopefully get those assets out of that 529 plan and avoiding a, a, a tax or a penalty on a portion of those dollars. So that's one thing to keep in mind for 2024. I'd say if, if anyone who's listening thinks that this might be something that's helpful for them, if you have a 529 college savings plan, this might be an opportunity for you to meet with your advisor to just kind of sit down and, and revisit your college savings approach to make sure there's not any other new strategy that's available that you might be overlooking. And then Justin did hit on the catch-up I think he hit on the catch-up contributions being subject to Roth tax treatment. I'd say another one to keep in mind is that IRA catch-up contribution limit will be indexed to inflation starting in 2024. So as you're reviewing, if you are eligible to make an IRA catch-up limit or catch-up contribution next year, I'd say sit down with your financial advisor and, and revisit your savings approach to make sure you are maximizing all of your the ways to make tax advantage contributions to the accounts that might be available to you. And then in 2025, employer-sponsored plans are going to also see an increase to their catch-up limit. However, this only applies to those who are ages 60 to 63. So there are a lot more provisions that I didn't discuss, but I think what I'm hoping listeners can leave here with is just that these changes are some that are going to maybe make it harder for you to save for retirement in a way that you want to, meaning you may be subject to Roth contributions when in reality you want to make pre-tax contributions. But other provisions are going to be helpful and make it easier for you to save for retirement. So I think the bottom line is just making sure that you sit down with your financial advisor to identify maybe the hurdles that are going to make it harder for you to save in the way you want to save and also identifying the opportunities that now exist, whether they're existing this year or in the years to come.
Well, Ainsley, that's an important point to have reinforced sitting down with one's financial advisor, having a follow-up conversations, likely a series of conversations. And of course, with respect to the Secure 2.0 Act, our conversation, I'm sure, will continue for quite some time. There is a lot here within uh, the publication. So again, do highly encourage our listeners, our clients to get a copy of the publication to read further into the developments surrounding Secure 2.0. So with that, I do want to spend some time touching on a few other items outlined within the most recent Modern Retirement Monthly. I mentioned updates to Social Security as well as Medicare for 2023 that our listeners, our clients should be aware of. Justin, can you take a few moments to walk us through what's located within the publication? Well, the good news is that the cost of living adjustment for Social Security was 8.7%, which is the largest uh, benefit increase we've seen in over 40 years. The downside is, and the bad news there, is that that's indexed to inflation. So it's a result of the fact that inflation was so high last year. Um, And so, you know, another note to make on that is that, you know, it's tied to inflation for basically urban wage earners and clerical workers. Um, It's not tied to an inflation index that's specific to you or any, or even even specific to retirees' cost of living. So there's a good chance that your spending is not does not look like this the consumer price index basket. And as a result, this may or may not help you with your cost of living. Um, you know, help help you make sure that your social security benefits are, are actually keeping up with your own personal cost of living. So you know I think it's important when you're budgeting and, and trying to deal with the higher levels of inflation um, to discuss with your financial advisor about whether this is going to have an impact on your budget, whether this increase was sufficient to help you plug the gap, or if you need to make other changes to your spending. Um, in addition, uh, another bit of good news uh, that the, the for 2023 at least, the Medicare Part B premiums are actually decreasing uh, this year. Again, there's a there's a bit of a story behind that. Last year, the Part B premiums increased by one of the largest amounts ever, 14.5%. And one of the reasons for this was they were establishing reserve to pay for possible spending on a new Alzheimer's drug, uh, which they ultimately decided that they, they didn't need to cover. Um, and so uh, while the Medicare Part B premium is decreasing uh from $170 per person to about $165 per person this year. Um, some of that is just giving back for a large increase last year. Um, and so, you know, with respect to that, it, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that your healthcare costs will be lower this year. For example, if you have supplemental or Medicare Advantage coverage, it's possible that your policy premium is different than the average uh, premium. And, you know, it's also possible that maybe your deductible, your co-payments, your co-insurance could have also increased. Again, things to discuss with your financial advisor if you if you think that this is affecting your budget in a way that requires you to, to revisit your plan. Thank you, Justin. So I know there's a lot here that yourself, Ainsley, have covered with our listeners, our clients today on top of the morning. So thank you for doing so. And of course, the big takeaway seems to have that follow-up conversation with your financial advisor to understand what's happening within this realm and how it might impact one's individual circumstance. Before we close, out. Justin Ainsley, any final thoughts or takeaways you would like to leave us with? Yeah, one thing I just wanted to add is that we there are a lot of 
rules, restrictions, limitations with some of these provisions that we weren't able to discuss in this podcast. So certainly, you know, work with the financial advisor, review the text within in the report, but also the IRS has not released all of the guidance on how these provisions will actually be implemented. So over the next coming months or years, I'd say that guidance will become available. And when that happens, we're going to be able to have a better understanding of how these provisions can be implemented and what are the considerations that investors need to be keeping in mind when taking advantage of these new provisions. So we're not sure how it's all going to be working just yet. So I'd say stay tuned and hopefully we'll be able to provide you with some more information as to what you need to know in order to make the most of these provisions. And I would just add one last thing is that um, I, don't know if, and I don't know if you've seen the headlines about the anti-aging scientific advancements recently, but uh, I think that there's a lot of headlines recently that reinforce the, the risk that many of, many of our uh, investors will live much longer than they'd expected because of advancements in longevity research. Um, and so when it comes to things like your Social Security claiming age, when it comes to how much you're contributing for retirement, uh, when it comes to deciding whether to add annuities and other things to your retirement strategy, I, I really think you should be considering the risk. You know, it doesn't seem like a risk because this is always it's nice to live longer, but the risk that you are going to have a much longer retirement than you'd expected. Um, some of our clients, some of our our uh, you know, family members will live to be over 100 years old. And it's a good idea to have a plan in place to make sure that you're not going to outlive your retirement savings. And so this is a really good topic to discuss with your financial advisor. We have lots of tools to handle longevity risk, but the most potent rules are the ones that we put in place in advance. Uh, it's, It's hard to shift from planning to live to 90 when you're 85. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to live to 120 instead, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty expensive to suddenly realize you need to stretch from five years to 25 years. Thank you again for dropping by top of the morning today to keep our listeners, our clients informed on these very important retirement considerations. And uh, to your point, Sainsley, Justin, we will, of course, continue to keep our listeners informed on developments and have follow-up conversations throughout the course of this year and beyond, though. Thank you both again for your time and your insight and guidance today. Appreciate it, as always. Thanks for having us, Dan. Thank you. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.